With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, your Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. Great British Bosses is where we profile the men and women responsible for sport in this country. These are the personalities who manage budgets, often public money, encourage grassroots participation and oversee those medal moments at an elite level. Whether you enjoy your sport in the Municipal Sports Centre, a world-class arena or stadium, or with millions of others in front of the TV or listening on the radio, these are the people who make it happen. I'm Michael. I'm John, and in this episode of Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, we're in Milton Keynes at the National Badminton Centre. And I'm Adrian Christie, I'm the Chief Executive at Badminton England. Firstly, Adrian, Chief Exec of Badminton England. What does it mean, what do you do? Well, I have a very privileged role here. Um, I have the the opportunity to lead and develop and grow the sport of badminton um, predominantly across England, but we also are the uh, the custodian of the Olympic and now Paralympic program on behalf of um, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and and ourselves in England. So, based here at the National Centre, we we have the Olympic program um, for Tokyo uh, with us right now. How on earth do you become a chief exec of a, of a national governing body? Um, well, with, with a lot of determination. Um, I mean, I, I've started out my career in sports development 20 plus years ago um, and very quickly realised on that journey that, uh, that a, a chief executive role within an Olympic sport was, was my goal. Um, and and I took on various roles working in local local authority sports development through to the National Coaching Foundation, which is now UK Coaching. Um, I had some regional roles, some, some national level roles. Then I worked for uh, for the Lawn Tennis Association, where it got, that gave me an amazing insight into working with volunteers, which governing bodies are, are you know, very much our lifeblood. And then I moved to squash and was National Development Director for England Squash before taking the opportunity to come here um 13 years ago actually and and even to this day i 
yeah my dad used to give me a bit of advice which was to wake up happy every day and um and every day i'm here i wake up happy it's an amazing opportunity it's an amazing organization and we work with some brilliant people and we do some really good things be honest were you a badminton fan before you got the job I used to, everyone says this, I, I used to play badminton at school, everyone tells me I used to play badminton at school, um, I, but I didn't, I didn't play an awful lot, I mean football, golf and tennis uh, are predominantly my sports, um, And yeah, but I, I used to play a fair bit of badminton, I played a lot of sports at school and badminton was one that I played, but you know, my, my predecessors here are, are far more accomplished players than I ever will be. You any good now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you say that you've been in sports development for for 20 years, you've Mm. seen a massive kind of sea change, haven't you, over that time? Because obviously, 97 was the impact of lottery money. We had that terrible Olympics Great Britain had in in 96 at Atlanta. Mm. Mm. And suddenly there's been this launch pad and more and more investment. Mm. Yeah. And I I think it's... um, I think we we should all be very privileged. Never, never never take anything for granted. The fact that we get so much public money invested into sport, whether that be grassroots sport or or world class sport, but you know it's it's no coincidence that we were very poor as a as as Great Britain in Atlanta, and we were exceptional in Rio. Um, and and you know I. I still think you know there's this huge amounts of opportunities now for for kids. I remember when I was at school, and you know all all I ever wanted to be was a professional player, and 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 whether it was a footballer or a tennis player, and those opportunities were just not available like they are to young people nowadays. And I look I look at the investment that comes into sport that creates those opportunities, even when there's so many things that particularly young people can do outside of sport that there is still millions and millions and millions of people that pick up a racket, kick a ball, throw a ball, or do whatever they do in, 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 in the world of sport. And so much of that is possible because people buy lottery tickets and, and a huge chunk of that investment comes, comes to our sector. We'd like to talk about the participation event and, yeah. and the fact that you, know, you get funding from Sport England, but UK mm. Sport, but you mentioned Rio. That day when you found out UK Sport were removing your podium funding mm. after Chris Langridge and, and um, Mark Ellis had won a bronze medal, yeah. the first men's doubles, you know, British medal in yeah. history. How was that feeling for you and and your wider team? It, it absolutely floored us. I mean, even to this, to this day, you know, I, I will always say that it, it was a wrong decision. It was a, it was a bad decision. The, the information that was, used to determine that outcome I, I think was was ill-informed it was it was a it was a bad move and we were flawed I mean I you know I sat in this room and took took the phone call from UK Sport with our performance director and 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 couldn't really believe what we were being told um, and immediately went outside and group, grouped the players and the coaches together and told the players and then immediately after that grouped the staff together and told the staff because this was this was we knew this was going to be a big story because you know, Marcus and Chris had done so so well, um, and and it and it was flooring. But you know, you you can't you can't grieve on decisions like that forever. And you know, I, I will always maintain. And you know, was part of a group of sports that 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 championed and lobbied hard for sports. Every Olympic and Paralympic sport, I believe, should receive a baseline level of funding. And and I'll always maintain that because if you cut sports off. It's very, very difficult for them to then recover and ever get back on because you know, the 
the the investment is so great that enables so so many good things to happen. It's difficult to catch up, but but the what I felt was really responsible for me in my role to do was to look then at but but how do we ensure this never happens again? How do we ensure that we develop our own self sustainability, our own resilience that that should this ever happen again, we're better prepared for it. And you know, people often ask. Well, people often say, "You must have seen that coming," um, and and I absolutely did not see that one coming. And I, I like to think that I've kind of you know off, often get a sense of of what's going on around our sector, but but I just didn't expect that. Um, you know, we we came out of London. We wasn't in great shape when we came out of London. We had a bit of bit of turmoil in the program, and and if at that point we'd have we'd have had our funding cut, but I wouldn't have been able to argue as hard at that point as I did post Rio but um you know but but it's what two and a half years on now um we're in good shape going towards Tokyo we've got Paralympic investment as well um Badminton England have been able to generate more of its own resources that we've been able to divert some of that money into the Tokyo program um and we've got you know we've got eight players that are currently on track to go to um to go to Tokyo next year so so we've we're we're recovering still but but I think we're still there's still a, a fair bit of um, vulnerability around it actually. When you took that phone call, what was the impact potentially going to be? Were we talking about jobs? Were we talking about the fact that that group might not be able to go and compete in the next Olympic cycle? Were you thinking I've made a huge mistake here? My head's on the line. Um, I, all of that, I guess. I mean, I think um, I don't. I, I mean, the one thing I, I don't think anybody in here made a mistake. But you know, you don't. How, how do you how do you win the first ever men's doubles medal for Great Britain um, and and not believing that you made a mistake and with a group of players that were approaching their peak so for us then looking ahead to Tokyo we always felt that this was a this was a step towards it but no it was all of those things I mean it wasn't just about about the players being able to compete at the next games it was actually about whether the players compete at the World Championships that were coming up in the next few months it was it was that devastating and. We lost 33 members of staff. Um, we lost 12 players. We had a program of 24 athletes. We lost 12 of them overnight, literally left us overnight. Um, we lost coaches. Um, and that was then the rebuilding exercise that we had to get all of that out of the way as as difficult as it was for so many people. Um, you know, it was the one thing that I always say is that there are decisions that people take about whether they do or don't invest in programs. And... You know, there's, there's, there's not always the thought. I believe that the consequences, the wider consequences. You know, take four million pound away from Babington. That's that's the decision. If you actually say, if we take four million pound away from Babington, what are the consequences to so many things? Well, well we we're left to pick up those pieces. Um, and as I say, we 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 did, and we are still doing to some extent. Um, but we're in we're in good shape now. Have UK Sport got it wrong then, chasing the medal moments? There's this statistic, isn't it, that every medal in Rio cost half a million quid. Was mm. half a million quid for, for Marcus and Chris and a bronze medal value for money? Or Totally, totally value for money. Totally value. I mean, I, I think, you know, and I think there are some sports that, that can absolutely see a spike in participation as a consequence of, of a medal moment. We saw that. I mean, we saw... A 245% increase in London alone in the number of people playing within two weeks of, of Chris and Marcus putting having that medal put around their necks. Ama- amazing um, 
immediate impact. So I think I I, I firmly believe that world class world class achievement can drive participation. I firmly believe that. So so no, I don't think it's a waste of money. I, I think it's um, I think where where we probably have gone too far. I I think we have to be careful to to set our expectations so high. Um, you know, is number two in the medal table was pretty astonishing really pretty extraordinary um i think if we believe we can keep doing that or even go one better than that and top the medal table i think you could be you could be chasing something that's that 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 might might ultimately um fall flat um you know i think for a nation the size of great britain or you know an olympic movement the size of great britain to do what we're doing is quite extraordinary and and but i think it would be equally extraordinary if we were consistently in the top five so i i just think that there is this probably where where i do think they've gone wrong is that too much money has been invested in too few sports meaning that too many sports are being sidelined or not or not even getting any funding at all and if you're ever going to be number two consistently or number one in the medal table you need your medals from more than three or four sports Mm, absolutely Um, absolutely. but so but i think you know i can't sit here on one hand and say that it's it's not money well spent when on the other hand i'm also saying that you know we've done some extraordinary things since since atlanta in 96 so so you've set yourself another medal target of one Mm. At Tokyo, and then yep. obviously more with the, with para badminton, which is yep. in in the Paralympics for the, for the for the first time. Mm. Reasonable estimation, because you, you know we we saw how brilliantly your guys did, and we talked about it on anything but footy um, at the European Games okay. in Minsk, yep. and and what a you know fantastic achievement that the the guys did winning those medals. But of course, the powerhouse of badminton, as you were about to tell me, is Asia. Yeah, and and it look, it will be it will be incredibly tough in in Tokyo and Rio was incredibly tough and London was incredibly you know the Olympic the Olympic Games is uh, the Olympic medals in in badminton are are the the crown jewels that's what everybody wants what everybody's preparing for and we are we are no different but you know we we also know the scale of the challenge every single time we step on court um you know China and Thailand now uh Indonesia, Malaysia, India, um, huge, huge, huge obstacles for us to get across. But, you know, our, our job is preparing our players to be the very best they can be. And and we we go on court believing that we can win. We go on court believing we can compete. And, you know, you you get the reward. when You know, I, I, was, I was very, very lucky to be in Rio and watched every one of Marcus and, and Chris's games in, in, uh, in Rio. And the belief that those boys had every time they stepped on court, you know, and we beat the top Danish pair, we beat the top, the the, the top, um, uh, a, a top Chinese pair to to get to where we got to, um, just incredible. So we know we can do it. It's just not. It's not very easy, is it? But in <laughs> but in world class sports, not easy. Yeah. <laughs> and just a quick word before we move on from funding. Mm. Obviously, the prime minister confirmed last week that you were getting para badminton was going to get a share of fifty million pounds, uh, and that investment is, has been put into the government, obviously via via UK Sport. Yeah. I have to bring up the B word, Brexit. Has mm. there been any guarantees? As a sport or a wider sport, or you know, you 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 talk to your colleagues in in, in other NGBs, mm. 
about the funding being maintained post Tokyo? No. Um, in fact, it's only only around now we're starting to have um, some conversations with. In fact, this week I'm meeting with UK Sport to understand what the themes around the, the, and how the investment principles for Paris, the Paris cycle will work. Um, and then later in the year, we'll find out a little bit more about how it will work with Sport England. I just think, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's way beyond my pay grade, I think, to try and understand what on earth will happen with Brexit um, and the impact on sport. But I think... You know, we we hope that particularly because sport is so well funded through the individuals in the street, that you know this is this is lottery cash that that invests in us that 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 will at least be maintained. Um, and similarly, we hope that Exchequer will because I, I think the one thing that 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 happens, and you know, we've seen it. We've seen it this year with with things like Cricket World Cup, Netball World Cup. We've seen it with the Football World Cup last year. Um, you know, we may see it with the Rugby World Cup over the next few weeks. When something brilliant happens in sport, it lifts the nation. And you know, whatever side you're on with with Brexit, and you know, we're not going to here to talk about politics, but whatever side you're on with the Brexit debate, people want to be lifted, and sport lifts people. And you know, and, and I'm a West Ham fan, and you know we're flying high right now. So I'm I'm way I'm way above the cloud. I'm way above the clouds. Um, but you know, those those things are are those special sporting moments are what we all aspire to deliver. That keeps us away from some of the noise. And I think government, I think government genuinely realise that investing in sport is a good thing for the nation. Whether you're a you know, whatever sport you follow, whatever your preferred sport is, um, it, it always makes the nation feel amazingly good about itself. So we've talked a lot about money there and you've talked about sporting glory and mm. I guess the wider remit of sport. So talk about your organisation. Yes, it's great to deliver a bronze medal on a wonderful afternoon in Rio, but mm. badminton is such a huge participation sport. You mentioned yeah. right at the start, we all play it at school. There's mm. people playing it up and down sports halls mm. is that part of your remit what is your remit here what are your roles responsibilities well we we have we have three very very clear objectives so our our first one is is to get more people playing badminton we want badminton to be one of the nation's most popular sports and you know there's four million people play our sport every year um uh, just over a million play at least twice a month so we're in we're in great shape there's lots of you know twenty four thousand courts all around the country being filled by tens of thousands of people every day um so getting more people doing that is 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 important to us winning medals at world olympic and paralympic level is is another key objective for us but then increasingly more important is about our our financial self-sustainability and so the commercial program here which is a big part of the work that i do is about generating the income that allows us to do the two the more people playing and more medals so so we will never veer too far away from that how we do it is is always is always quite that's this the really interesting part um but actually what we do will will be quite consistent so you know more more people in the context of participation more opportunities for people to see badminton more, more people who get excited about the sport more major events held here we have our all england championships that that are you know the big blue ribbon event in the world of badminton happens you know in in Birmingham every March and those 
inspirational opportunities to enable more encourage and excite more people to play badminton is is a big part of what i do so what are you going to do differently then to develop your sport and the proposition of badminton well i think i think the you know i've, I've thought long and hard about um you know when when i i reel off stats that that show how big a participation sport we are there's there's always this how do we get bigger how do we do more um and and we're taking a very very different approach and i'd like to particularly probably at this point thank sporting for their belief in this that that they're helping us to invest in a, a different approach to sports participation um and i've thought long and hard for quite some time that i think i think sport is or governing bodies particularly are are very traditional in the way in which you know they they go after people that that, that play or want you they might want to play their sport and you know, we, we're no different to that. I used to do this 20 years ago. I'd rock up at a school with a, a bag of rackets or whatever and I'd get kids excited about playing tennis or badminton or whatever it might have been for half an hour. Then I move out and some guy turns up and he might have 30 trumpets and, you know, we're not, we're not all of a sudden, we're not all of a sudden going to turn the, 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 this school into, into an orchestra. But the reality of it is that's how you got your sport in front of young people. And now people generally, not just young people, are connected 24-7. And I don't think governing bodies, I certainly can only really speak for for us, have ever really embraced technology to engage people in a very personalised way, in much the same way, you know, how do you, I guess, how do you Spotify or how do you Amazon sport in the same way where you've got these brands that, that not only know what you're buying, but they're serving you up every single minute of the day, new content, new offers, new products, how to sport how does sport move into that world and you know we will still do the traditional let's get in front of kids in school because when your kids are locked behind the school gates for six hours a day there's a huge captive audience there but your captive audience is is also at the end of a telephone or the, or the end or a mobile phone or whatever it is social media and we we have to move into that world um and so I guess it's about you know I often challenge us, ourselves on how are we how can we be more relevant how are we how are we really meaningful and personalised to people that might have an interest in playing our sport and and that's a big shift now and that that's a big a big opportunity for badminton to start moving into and you mentioned about the traditional side of, of mm. sport governing. How, how difficult is it then for you to go to Sport England and say, look, I've got this really good idea and I want to try something different? Um, I, I think right now, Sport England have been amazingly supportive. I mean, I think um, we, we all understand the scale of the challenge of of getting people active, particularly young people. I mean, it's, you know, the health of the, of the nation is incredibly important to us all. And, and you know, part of the privileged position that, that we hold in sports is that we can play a small part in, in influencing what, what, people do and how they do it sport england are one of the holders of of some some helpful resources um and and but have the same objectives so i think you know i i approached sport england with this idea of this almost retail approach to sports participation and they completely embraced it um so that's just just the start of that journey you know and we've seen some great successes of our digital our digital strategy of how we engage new members how we engage more ticket purchasers and we've seen big growth you know the growth of the revenues associated with those has, has been part of our recovery from the from the UK sport decision in 2016 but I will now want to apply those principles into sports participation um, and and sporting and have been have been terrifically supportive of that so we're here at the national 
Badminton Centre in Milton Keynes. How many staff do you have? And 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 tell people what because we walked through past like it was a, a, a huge sports hall, yeah. and we looked down and saw the Olympic bronze medalists playing. Yeah. And so you talk people through what you know. Obviously, because I don't think you can. You, can you just turn up here and have a look around? Or? Yeah, you can. And and you know, it's it's an amazing facility. This because um, you know you're so. So, base, so this is our this is our home. This is our headquarters. So uh, we have seventy two staff that that work for Babington England. Forty um, something um, are based here. The rest are are part make up our regional teams and coaches that work um, around the country. Um, but you come in here. We have uh, we have a hotel on site, which um, used to be a facility that was for players to stay in. It was only players and coaches that tended to stay in here. Um, as as players and as the sport professionalises more and more and players are earning more and more out of the sport, players buy their own property. Um, so we, we'll now have a, we now have turned that into a commercial hotel. Um, we have uh, a gym on site that we manage ourselves now. We have conference facilities here. Uh, we have Table Tennis England that co-locate with us now. Um, and and we have about hundred thousand uh, people that come through this building every uh, every year. Uh, we have the national we have the National Babington Museum based based in here as well. So you will often see. I mean, you will you will see because it's their training home. You will see the world class program based here. But during school holidays, you'll see our junior camps based here. But if you between ten and two, and between after five in the evening. You'll go outside and you'll see members of the public um, playing a lot better than I certainly can. Um, but but what's so unique about here is that you know if we've got if some of the, the squad are away and they're travelling in major tournaments, um, we've got some of the younger players that that may be in a training block here. You'll also see members of the public playing alongside world class athletes that are training, and it's quite a unique mix. I <clears throat> excuse me. I don't. I don't know too many world class facilities or national, certainly national facilities where um, you know. I, I don't know too much about St George's Park, but I wouldn't have thought the dog and duck will be pl- and will be playing the Red Lion alongside, alongside the England football team training. Um, but you get that here, and it's and it and it makes it a, a pretty special environment at times. And when you know, we always involve the members when we're doing an Olympic send off or Commonwealth Games send off. Um, or we get a homecoming with when, when the boys won won the medal, or Chris and Gabby have won won world championship medals in uh, a couple of years ago. We always want to involve the public and the members of the f- facility because we want them to feel that they play a small part in making those sorts of things happen. And so, for people listening to Great British Bosses from anything but footy that maybe seen Chris and Gabby at the World Championships, maybe watched a bit of the Commonwealth Games, the Olympics, but they don't know. What are these elite badminton players doing for the other three years, 50 weeks outside of Tokyo 2020? They're trying to get to Tokyo 2020. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're, I, guess, I guess we're very similar to sports like tennis or golf where, where players will be competing pretty much every week of the year. I mean, our, our group here will spend, the, 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 the top group, the Olympic group, will probably spend six months a year in Asia now. Um, because the, you know, the the world tour, it's a it's a global tour. The All England is is the top is the top event as part of that tour. Um, but you know there are twenty seven tournaments just in the world tour, and then there's European events around that. So our group are constantly touring, and in fact, the one of the biggest challenges that we have is 
he's getting the players back here for training blocks and a bit of rest and recuperation and before they go again. But they're on that world tour constantly. We have world championships every year where we don't have a, an Olympic Games. Um, we have European championships every year. We now have the European Games, which happens every every uh, four years as well. So, um, and obviously Commonwealth Games, which which we we did amazingly on the Gold Coast, and we're very much looking forward to to Birmingham 2022 as well. So they don't stop. And our Olympic, you know, we we start Olympic qualification on the first of May, and we go through to um, the third of May. I think it is next year. Um, before we even get close to understanding who's going to be going to Tokyo, so it's it's and it's very competitive. You know, we've got we've got Marcus and Lauren, we've got Chris and Gabby as an example, pretty much head to head to try and qualify. And if they both get in the top eight in the world, one's one is eight in the world and one's just outside. But if they're both in the top eight, they um, they both go, and that's that's clearly what we what we want to do. And how are you identifying the talent? Because we've been on this Olympic Paralympic beat for for nearly a decade. Mm. And to be honest, we've been talking about the Adcocks and some of the other names that we've mentioned for mm. that decade. Mm. Who are the the next generation? Where are they coming from? Are they playing down there at the yeah, moment? Yeah, they are. So, um, so I mean, in, in I mean, mixed doubles is tends to be the event that that we've that we've probably become best known for. And you know, Mark, Marcus and and Chris obviously um, got a men's doubles medal, but um, you know, probably since Galems and Nathan Robertson in uh, in Athens in two thousand four, mixed has seem to be the sport where we we've 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 predominantly achieved um we've got ben lane jess Pugh um are down in the hall at the moment they're, they're having a great season um they they're not on track for for tokyo but they will they're absolutely in in our in our sights for for paris and beyond for a young pair of early 20s so um so they they are they're in great shape we've got great men's doubles pair ben lane sean vendy um and 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 younger players that that go into our kind of our, our junior national champions young players like Estelle van Lerwen, um you know really exciting young talent for the future so you know for us it's it's building that 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 conveyor belt of talent that that we the top group are constantly being pressured by the group coming in below them to to to, to move them out the way to allow them to come through and you know, and we we're just about to to start a, an even broader talent search that that will go to every corner of of the country, um, and and really nurture that young talent at a regional level before they start to to get their eyes set on on Milton Keynes because this this to us has to be the finishing school. This is where you come here when you are truly world class potential. Um, and so, so we we've got a, an exciting proposal that we'll be including as part of our hopefully sporting and investment over the next four years that will enable us to to dig even deeper into that talent search. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end, but a couple of things I wanted to say to you because they kind of leapt out when I was uh, doing a little bit of research that a more people play badminton than tennis yep. in the UK, yep, which is incredible. So you're the number one racket sport, yep in the UK mm. and also a recent study suggests badminton had a positive impact on your brain mm. you need to be shouting about this yeah no we do don't we yeah we do I, I, and it, it does have a positive impact on my brain because as I say I do wake up happy, happy every day <laughs> but I, I think um, yeah it's 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 a great I mean we see a lot of people here because we, we operate our own gym here we, we see a lot of people that now they do a bit of a workout in the gym, but then they're wanting to get on court as well because it, a it's it, you feel brilliant when you've played a bit of sport rather than just running on a treadmill or something. Um, but but yeah, it's um, 
that that's there's some really great stories like that around around the sport but i think you know the the participation element is you know we're such a it's one of my frustrations i think as much as anything else is that we are such a big sport but without you know we we get so consumed by so many other sports you know the kind of big spectator sports and yeah, we're we're a nation that's that's totally obsessed with football. That sports like badminton, there's a lot of sports like badminton that um, that that really welcome opportunities to shine. And you know, as I say, I think netball did that brilliantly earlier in the summer. And Commonwealth Games, sports sports like us emerge. Olympic Games, we get those medal moments, and and that's that's really what we what we want to we want to deliver more and more because that then people start to talk about us a bit more. So do you need an Andy Murray to break through? Um well I I think what we need I think what we need is more people like you guys to take an interest in us <laughs> We're because here. we because we we have um we have we have an Andy Murray kind of you know analogy they they're called Marcus and Lauren they're called Chris and Gabby they're called Ben and Jess and you know we have players that are absolutely world class. Um, and uh, so, so it's it's about getting the media to recognise and talk about them, that enable sports to be catapulted into into a different level. I think. A couple of quick fire ones to finish. Then, yep. biggest success in your role. Um, oh God, we've had we've had a few. Um, I I think the biggest success. I'm going to I'm going to give you two. Okay. I, I think I think the men's doubles medal was was quite extraordinary. In fact, I'm going to give you three. The men's doubles medal was quite <laughs> extraordinary. I think being recognised as the fourth most participated sport um, in in the country was pretty special, given that was a, a real strategic objective. But I think an overarching one was really about how how the sport has recovered or is recovering from such that from that knock in 2016, because it it could have floored really really floored us for a long time um and somebody said to me once it, it could take you five years as a sport to recover from that and and it, it may well do overall it might do but but I think we've recovered a lot quicker than than and that that's testament to the amazing people that are around this sport so you've just covered the next question which was biggest regret I presume it was losing the funding uh yeah yeah I think I, I think I think losing the funding um of course was I, I think I'll always be a bit disappointed that I think we we didn't perform to our best in uh, in London. I think we had a a great opportunity in London that we didn't really capitalise on. Um, but I think yeah, I mean the fund the funding's a huge was a huge knock for us. Final message to people listening to great British bosses from anything but footy about badminton: get out and play. There's twenty four thousand courts, um, every single corner of the country. Um, get out and play. Come to the to the Arena Birmingham um, next March. You will see world class badminton and those tricks that you learn from some incredible athletes uh, in Birmingham next year. You can then go and find a court and try it yourselves. It's an amazing sport. Adrian Christie, Chief Executive of Badminton England. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.